So Karen, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, you've been here about 15 years. I think you came here in 2003. So tell us how you got to Kelowna. Well, I was born and raised in Nova Scotia. So I'm a Maritimer. So there will always be a piece of my heart that stays there. And I was a bit of a journey. I first moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba and spent a few years there and then Calgary, Alberta, and then landed in Kelowna, all work-based. So when I first got the interview for a position in Kelowna, I remember saying, Kelowna? What is Kelowna? I had never even heard of it. And then the plan landed and I was like, wow, I've landed in Utopia. (laughs) So that's what brought me here was work. So you came for work and fell in love with the place. Did you decide immediately to just pack up and move? I did six months, actually. I did six months where I worked in Kelowna and rented a place here furnished and kept my place in Calgary. But it was... It was within a month that I knew that this was the place I needed to be. It was a six-month contract, which then turned permanent, and it wasn't a decision point at all. I was more like, when can I come versus if or would I? Right. It's pretty immediate. I fell in. The geography here is unlike anything I had ever seen. Uh, And still to this day, 15 years later, I look out at those mountains and hills and the lake, of course, special place in my heart being from the ocean. And, you know, I just think to myself, I get to live here. Yeah. And every day it's amazing. Did you have any family? And I guess you were meeting people through your job, but uh, I assume you knew nobody when you first got here. Yes, definitely. I landed on my own and I knew no one, which I did the same in Winnipeg. Yeah. And similar in Calgary, I knew my manager and I actually had a bit of family in Calgary, but in Kelowna, I knew no one. It was really my connection to fitness, running, cycling, triathlons, mm-hmm. and teaching fitness that it was almost immediate that I felt like I found a little circle of peeps. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough that they really took me in and under their wing and taught me the ropes. And yeah, yeah. so I didn't know anyone, but I was lucky to, to find what I considered a family almost immediately. So you teach fitness. Was that what you were doing in 2003? Because now you're doing some corporate consulting. Tell us how one led to the other. And are you still doing both? I am still doing both. So I've been teaching fitness. I probably don't want to do the math. (laughs) So it's, you know, the little approximate squiggly mark. 20 years I've been teaching fitness. But really my career has always been in corporate and always been in learning, development, and leadership. So there's some, I teach yoga as well, so there's some really interesting overlap between especially yoga, but fitness and leadership. So I find myself quoting fitness principles when I'm teaching a leadership course, such as it's practice. You know, you don't run a marathon the first run out, so you can't be integrating some of the principles immediately and perfectly into your leadership practice. And then when I teach fitness, I find myself tapping into some of the leadership principles I teach. So mm-hmm. what do you want? How are you going to be resilient? Be authentic to yourself? Things like that. So they're, they're quite separate, but they have these really compelling interlinks for me. So I can't see me giving either one up. Right. But my business really is the mainstay of my mortgage payment. <laughs> so is it like full, two full-time jobs or is it a full-time job and a part-time job? My business is definitely my full-time job. I'm actually, I ha- own my own business and I partnership in another 
closely related firm. So that definitely is my full time. For fitness, I only teach about two to three times a week mm-hmm. right now. So it's in the morning. Um, one morning I do a strength class and then I teach a spin and a, and a yoga class. So it's it's definitely a, a side passion, but it, it gets me out and you have to show up. And again, it's, it's like a second family to me, my fitness family. You've got a Bachelor of the Arts in English. Did English help you with your corporate work? Because I know a lot of parents these days, they're trying to figure out what to put their kids in. And uh, a lot of people think lately that uh, liberal arts degree is not really that useful. I'm a, I'm a student of English. It was my best subject in school, so I love it. Does it uh, did it help you when you got into corporate work, do you think? That's a really great question. <laughs> Thank you. I think it did. So I very similar to you. I'm like, hmm, scan my transcript. Ooh, English was my best mark. I think that'll be my major. Right. <laughs> and I love history, so I'll minor in history. All right, I'm ready. So and the immediate application of my English degree wasn't apparent. And I think it has supported me throughout my business career. I can write a clear, concise email. Right. I can communicate in writing effectively. I know how to frame a paper. When I took my master's, I don't know how many times I said to myself, thank goodness for my English degree because I know how to frame out a thesis. Right. And it saved me. So I definitely apply it often, even if it's not explicit that I'm using my English degree, it, it certainly set me up for success. Masters in leadership. Tell us what that is like. I don't know anybody who's got a master's in leadership, or at least I don't think I do. Uh, what does that involve? That's a two-year degree, and what is what is it? So the Masters of Leadership is a program I took through Royal Roads University on Vancouver Island, And I came into the program because I applied for a job and it was for a trainer and a consultant internally within a company. So I'm going to deliver leadership workshops and I'm going to work with teams to help them be the best teams they can be on an interventional basis. And I thought this is perfect for me. I looked at the job description, I looked at my resume and I'm like, tick, 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 tick. Everything's perfectly in alignment. This was here in Kelowna in 2008. I didn't even get an interview for the position. So I asked the leader at the time of that department, could I have 15 minutes of your time to understand where I need to develop my skills or enhance my resume? So he was kind enough to sit down with me and he said, you're right on paper, everything's perfect. But for this position in this organization, you require a master's. So that's what started me on my journey. It covers everything from self-awareness. So How do I learn more about myself? And there may be some assessments in there that help me learn about myself, but it's really a willing to be a willingness to be open and and take lessons of self awareness and apply them to how to be I want to use the word better, but then I avoid that because that suggests a judgment that I'm not good now, but really how to reach maximum potential, how to continuously grow. And then we moved into concepts of team. How do I be a good team leader? How do teams function? Why are teams in dysfunction and conflict a lot of the time? And then the degree examined a little bit. It wasn't labeled this at the time, but it was it was human systems thinking. So what is systems thinking? How do systems work? How do you find the leverage points in systems? How do you encourage and foster the patterns that you want to see? Because the second you put a whole bunch of human beings 
into an organizational system, Mm -hmm. the predictable condition is disempowerment, being overburdened, and being torn, depending on what position or mindset you're in. So we really examined a lot, and I continued my learning in that with the certification in human systems, Mm -hmm. which was fascinating because it really is predictable, Mm -hmm. these conditions. And the good thing is that means we can mitigate them. So we can create strategies to help us navigate some of those complexities of human systems. Just to go a little deeper on that point, um, being torn, is that like being ambivalent? Like you kind of want to be on the team, but you kind of hate half of the team. Is that sort of what that is when you say being torn? Yes, definitely. Because <laughs> I see a lot of that in my work. And I, you know, in, in from my perspective, you always sit in choice. So as a team member or an employee or a member of a human system, you have a choice and that can be, you know, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to be in. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to, I call it stay and fry. So I'm not in, but I'm not out, but I might be a bit toxic to both myself and the environment, or I leave. The torn piece, so certainly you see that show up in individuals and teams and organizations, but specifically within systems thinking or seeing systems. There's a great book by Barry Oshry that's called Seeing Systems, and he talks about torn in terms of being middle managers. So you have your leader above you that wants something, you have your team that needs something, and you may have other people in the system that's wanting something. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult to be in those mid positions where everybody wants something from you. Mm -hmm. So you end up being torn. Mm -hmm. How do you keep your team happy? And how do you keep your leader or your manager happy? Now another dynamic think, think of blended families. So there's the ex-spouse, there's the current spouse, and then there's the person that's sometimes in the middle. And I would guess that often they, they could relate to that torn, right. <laughs> torn feeling. So it applies to you know, life outside of organizations and life within organizations. That's why I'm so passionate about these principles. So I'm guessing sometimes it's fairly simple. People just need to become aware of the situation and the way they're thinking and the position of everyone else on the team. And I'm guessing sometimes it's quite challenging. Like people can be really stubborn. They don't want to change. Uh, Do you ever get to the point where you come in and you say, you know what, you should just blow this whole damn thing up because it's not going to work? Or is there always a solution? That's a great question. So I have a very optimistic outlook. I think every human has potential for fulfillment and joy and engagement into their work. And... The key to that is exactly that, engagement. So I've been brought in often, not often, sometimes I get requests for contracts that come in and fix us. Mm -hmm. We have a problem and we want you to fix it, like the team's not getting along or this leader's bad or that employee's bad. We like to label people. Mm -hmm. So the first question I almost ask is, what is your intent? Are you wanting to manage them out or do you want to manage them in? Mm -hmm. Because I hear you saying you want a good team, but I also hear that really it is about getting rid of team, person, leader, whatever it might be. My work, I would say to my clients always, if you want me to come in and fix people that aren't engaged into the process, don't waste your money. You're going to waste money. I'm not going to be fulfilled, and you're not going to think I did a good job for you Mm -hmm. because those people have to be in. It's got to start with them. I can create the space for exploration and awareness and growth and change, I cannot force people to be different. 
Are there um, different leadership styles that are valid, or is there like a right way and a wrong way to do leadership? That's a great question. Again, I avoid good, bad, better, worse labels. I think there's potential for every leadership style to be effective in different contexts. So I could go through a bunch of leadership styles, but I'll use a couple. Like I could be uh, very directive as a leader. Mm -hmm. It is going to be my way, and this is the way it's going to be. And I think instinctively we'd think, well, that's not a good leader. That's wrong. I spent some of my career in healthcare, and if you're saving my life, be directive, please. Be directive with the healthcare worker or doctor or each other in doing the right things the right way the first time to help me with my physical health, for example. But that might not be the best way. If you want people engaged in your team and you want them to look at a new way of being, telling them what to do is not really effective. It's a threat way. So it's a very short term. So in other ways, if you want people to realize their potential and grow and step into something different, you might want to be more coach-like as a leader. And the underlying paradigm there is you trust that people do have their own answers. Mm And there's a saying called, you hold them able to realize their own potential. So that's the coach-like. And then, of course, there's a style called pace setter, which is, you know, just because I want to work 40, not 40, I guess that's pretty standard, but, you know, 80 hour a week, then then you should too. When is that effective? I'm not sure, but there probably is a context that we could find that would say, you know what, in that context, it might be okay. So it's not about good, bad, right, wrong. It's just about having the awareness of maybe what your preferences Mm -hmm. are and knowing when to most effectively apply those to get you the results you want. Mm -hmm. It's not for anybody else to define the results you want. You know, I call it my Dr. Phil moment in my courses. You know, is what you're doing working for you? Mm -hmm. If it is, carry on. But generally, if it is, you hadn't even called me in the first place. All we can do to be different is do something different. Every single person in the process has to do something different. Like you said, sometimes people are doing okay, but they want to optimize. They want to improve on what they've already got. And that's, they call you in. It's not always a disaster scenario, right? When you get called in. Absolutely. And I, and I think most times I'm blessed enough to work with teams and I, during the curriculums I run, that it really is amazing, strong leaders that recognize the benefits and potential of that continuous lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. And those are generally the people I seem to work with the most. They're, they're ready. I want to learn more. I want to develop. And that's where it's really rich. I do that way more. I don't have a lot of negative interactions. The teams and people I work with have struggles. We all have struggles, but honestly, for the most part, everybody shows up to work when you do a great job and interact effectively with each other. So we just build on that. Is it correct to say that you went in 2008 to get your master's and you would have graduated 2010 and then started this business in 2010? Luke Mankus is a realtor with Remax Kelowna. He loves what he does. We asked Luke if he had any regrets about moving here in 2011. And he always says, yeah, one regret. And that is 
he didn't move here sooner. When Luke came here, he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the neighborhoods or anything or anyone besides his daughter, who was six years old at the time. So he knows what it's like. Now, he's an expert and has helped well over 100 single people, couples, families, and investors with their real estate needs in the Okanagan. If you're new to our beautiful city, Luke can help you get connected with great lawyers, dentists, carpenters, landscapers, swimming pool installers, you name it. And whether you're new to Kelowna or not, Luke knows real estate. He can help you find a great property, negotiate a good deal, and hold your hand all the way through the process until the day you get your shiny new set of keys. Luke is known as a no-pressure kind of guy. He's had clients where it took even a year or more to get them into a property. He just doesn't believe in rushing things. On the other hand, when you decide it's time to act, he's diligent, and he'll work day and night until the job is done. Give Luke Make Us a call or a text message at any time, 778-215-4273. Again, that's 778-215-4273, 778-215-4273 to chat with Luke about real estate. I enrolled in my master's officially in 2009, so I convocated in 2011. In between my B, my Bachelor's of Arts in English, I actually took my Certificate of Adult and Continuing Education, yeah. and then I t- took a few certifications and personality assessments and things like that that support my work. Yeah. So when I convocated in 2011, I went back to that leader I mentioned and knocked on his door and went, hi, I'm ready. Yeah. I now have my Master's. I'm in the program. So he said, okay. Come and work for me. (laughs) And that leader now left the organization. I stayed with the organization that we had worked together in for another five years. So I've been in my own firm for three. And I'm partners with that leader that first challenged me to start to look at my education and growth. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's an amazing story. I'm just, it's, I'm, it's, I have to pinch myself some days. So I would follow him to the ends of the earth. He challenges, stretches, and encourages and supports all at the same time. So it's really phenomenal. I bet you're really glad that you asked for that 15-minute meeting instead of just saying, oh, geez, you know, I, I don't qualify, so screw it. I'll do something else. <laughs> you actually wanted to know what is it going to take to get you to that yeah. level. And I think that's a good example for anybody, right? If they really want to do something, just keep asking until you get the answer doesn't mean like you got to be a jerk and you know show up at their doorstep late at night or anything but <laughs> but be persistent until yeah. you find out exactly what you need to do so that's great um and you've got a bunch of certifications what is graphic facilitation well it's one of my favorite ones luke <laughs> okay. so you listed it first ah uh, yeah so graphic facilitation involves drawing hmm. so a, a lot of my workshops for example it's I, I call it colorful learning because we start the workshop at, you know, 8 in the morning. By even 11, noon, 2, 3 that afternoon, the walls are covered. There is charts. There is colored stickies. There is drawings. There are notes. So it's a very visual process. So we'll draw a vision of the future. We'll, I will use visual cues 
and choices to do various activities. So I have a two-day strat planning process that's a visual strategic planning process, Mm -hmm. meaning it's charts on the walls for the full two days, and it's stickies, and it's cards, and it's sorting, but it's it's completely visual because we think a different way Mm -hmm. when we're engaged in visual learning. Sure. So I went away to hopefully learn how to draw better stick people. (laughs) (laughs) So you actually took... I took a course in graphic facilitation, in graphic recording, and that wasn't a route I chose because I really didn't learn how to draw stick people any better. Some of the people in my cohort are amazing artists. I'm not. But it definitely opened my eyes to not everything has to be a PowerPoint slide. In fact, if I walked in, I always have a slideshow, but if the computer went down, I'd be like, all right, pull out the flip charts. We're going to do this. So 2015 approximately is when you started this business. What was it like getting your first set of clients? Did you um, take some from your previous company or how did you get new clients? Like I'm always interested. Someone starting a new business. One of their biggest concerns is how do I get customers how do I get revenue so my story is actually one of failure (laughs) around that I was very lucky my first year I mentioned I followed I got to work with with my partner that's currently a a partnership in two firms Mm -hmm. I walked into a fairly big contract in my first year so I didn't really have to look in that first year I'm like oh it's good I'm set I stayed on as a casual in my old role and help them with the project finishing up. So my first year I was set. 27, so that was 2015, 16. 2017, my business tanked. I had done no development. So when that contract ended, I was kind of like, okay, world, I'm ready. And funny enough, there was no lineup at my door going, oh, we've been waiting for you, Karen, (laughs) for the last year to just be free to work with us. So my biggest lesson there was Business development and relationship building always, always, always has to be done alongside. So a year later, Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see the benefits of repeat and referral. So that's all of my business. It's I've either worked with them in the past or I've worked with them in the last three years and they want me back or it's referral from people I've worked with. That takes years to build up that system. So true. Yeah. So... First year, I, I learned a hard shot lesson in that second year that I hadn't put any effort into that kind of stuff. Right. I don't know what I was thinking, but it didn't. there was nobody there. And then I did a lot of work, and it's starting to come to fruition this year. So things are rolling. I'm three years in. They say it takes three to five mm-hmm. to know if you're going to survive your business. So I'm really excited about all the amazing things that are coming down the pipe now. Tell us a little bit more about that. How did you get through that? Like on a daily basis, was your uh, a fit your fitness work? Um, I know, like getting physical fitness gives us endorphins and helps us to be a little bit more optimistic. But I'm sure some of those days were pretty, you know, disconcerting. I've gone through that myself. So, tell us how you got through it. How did you get from 2017 to 2018? And back to your optimistic self. Wow, that's a good question. Stubbornness. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty driven and dedicated, and I appreciate you sharing that you went through it too. So you understand the dark days. Like yeah. there was, there was dark days. I remember it had been so quiet. I called it, you know, I call it my cricket year because that's all I heard was, you know, any business, business, and all I heard was like cricket cricket like there was nothing and then I had an opportunity to bid 
on a proposal for, it was only one day, but I was so excited. It was kind of one of those, it's like, oh, you're a shoe-in, just send them over the, mm-hmm. and it didn't pan out. Wow. And that was probably one of my darkest moments because before that, I'm like, it will come, it will come. So when that opportunity came, I thought, okay, this is it, it's going to start. And it really felt like I was cut off at the knees. Mm-hmm. So I drove the pity bus for a little while and allowed myself to kind of wallow. And then, as I said before, I had a choice. I'm like, I either need to be in and have faith in this or I need to get out. Mm -hmm. But I can't do this if I'm half in and half out. Other than that, of course, support of my family and friends. Fitness has always been a huge part of me. So for sure, I was in the gym more or trying to get outside more. I have an amazing husband. He's my biggest cheerleader so he was there the whole way along as well like I just couldn't have survived it without the people that I have in my world really that were saying you got this you can do it tell us just a little bit more about your business do you have a minimum client size uh and what's the largest group you would work with generally so I've worked with a whole bunch of different size organizations and I've run workshops with 110 people in it Mm. in a in a simulating an organization that I've talked about, which is phenomenal experience. So I've worked with big groups right down to I've, I've sat with a leadership team of three right. for a day. Generally, what I find the pattern that's emerged for my business is I work with those companies that are large enough. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean employee numbers. They're either large or complex enough that they need this. They need self-awareness and growth and systems and and team and effective leadership and effective organizational principles, Mm -hmm. but they're not large enough that they have the internal department. Right. So if I had to pick a number, I'd say, you know, anywhere from like 50 employees to about 600, because once they're over 600, they tend to have an internal Mm -hmm. learning department. Uh, Some don't always have that, or I work in conjunction and I do train-the-trainer type work as well, but... That's really my niche are the complex businesses that, that need this type of work that can't internally source it. So that's been sort of the sweet spot that I've been working in. So is your typical contract um, workshops or is it hands-on training with the leadership? Does it last a day or two weeks or how does a typical contract go? I really have what I call two business streams. My one business stream is program-based. So it is a curriculum. Mm -hmm. Depending on the client, we customize it for them, but it's anywhere from five months to 12 months long. Mm -hmm. And it's a blended program. There's online learning. And then usually once a month, there's a one-day workshop. Now I have other clients that say we're too busy, so we want to see you for two days every four months. When you do a program like that as an aside, anybody that's listening, there's government money. There's job grant money that I can help my clients access. One of the stipulations is it has to be more than 21 hours, but less than one year. So that's why I'm saying it's five Mm -hmm. months to 12 months. So I call that sort of my proactive stream because it's a program and you're going to come and learn. Mm -hmm. Then my other stream, my business is those one of. So it's please come work with our team. Please walk us through your strategic planning process. You know, help us understand team principles. Give us your half day conflict workshop. Give us your one-day communication workshop so it really, or present at our conference for an hour. So it really runs the entire spectrum from, you know, an hour to, I'd say about two days is the average length of those kind of one-of interventional type 
workshops. So I have proactive and reactive business streams. Do you still like to read a lot? And uh, if so, tell us what uh, books you're reading right now or have just completed something that uh, we might find interesting. I'm a voracious reader. I love reading. So a book I just finished, which I think applies, I've talked a lot about the blending between personal and organizational when you talk about leadership. One of my favorites, which audiobook is great or a read, is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep. Yeah, and I, we can bleep it out. You can too. bleep it, okay. Yeah. So I can uh, actually say the F word. <laughs> Yeah. amazing book such a great book yeah. Yeah. yeah so that i love reading books like that mm-hmm. so that's one i've read in the last couple of years that i've really enjoyed two other ones i would suggest one is a really interesting just a story and it's called the dalai lama's cat oh, wow. and it's written from the perspective of the cat so the stray cat got adopted into the dalai lama's home and it's a whole story about the cat but every now and again there would be like a line or a observation that i would actually highlight and go oh, wow, that would be really cool in a workshop. Mm -hmm. But it's an easy light read. And then in terms of my development and my work, the book I'm reading now is called M-Braining. And I might get the title slightly wrong, but it's it's all around leveraging different intelligences that we have. So we have brain, Mm -hmm. we have heart, we have gut. The three levels of intelligences that we have in our body. And it's how to leverage those and in what order to make the best decisions that we can make so it really applies to coaching and leadership and i'm certifying in that content in september and i'm hosting the first workshop in vancouver for certification in western canada so i'm reading that book now in preparation for my own growth and development into that area so i'm pretty excited about that but it's an easy read anybody can read that book as well embraining tell us about Kelowna. How's your experience been for the last 15 years and uh, what do you do for fun besides reading and fitness and your amazing work that you do? I think I said, I hope I said, if I didn't say it, I'll say it now. I love Kelowna. Yeah. Like I, I just, it's hard to even articulate into wor- words. I'm, I find I'm just overwhelmed. Like I walk out the door where we live and I can look up into the mountains. I can walk to Tim Hortons or Starbucks. I can drive five minutes and be in the beautiful downtown area or at Gyro Beach. It just, I've never lived in a place that has so much to offer in a concentrated area. You know, free concerts in the park Friday, I think even Saturday nights, we usually go to the Friday night one. There's, you can go skiing, there's Silver Star, Big White, Sun Peaks, there's golfing, there, like, you know, people say, what do you, uh, why wouldn't you live here? Yeah. Why wouldn't you live here? Or, you know, what does it have to offer? It's, I'd be, uh, I couldn't even think of what it doesn't have to offer. Yeah. And being a big water person, the lake's huge for me. Love the climate. Yeah. And the people are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier this week, Luke, I got to participate in the citizenship ceremony for Canada at the oh, public library nice. downtown. And they were saying the same thing. So, like, this place is the most amazing place. And people were in tears to think that they were going to become a Canadian citizen. Yeah. And many of them to be able to 
that many of them have been here for many, many years. So they're not new to Canada. They're just new citizens of Canada. Right. How many people? There was 54 people wow. in the ceremony I participated in from 25 different countries. And some were going to settle outside, a few in the Kootenays and stuff, but really the mainstay people were in the Okanagan. They were, we connected on that like, wow, this is an amazing place to live and grow. So Karen, who would you like to nominate to come on the show in the future? can be anybody from any walk of life. I thought you might ask that. So I've been thinking about this and... I struggle with the choice because I have so many amazing people in my world. I thought of a couple of people. Yeah. Uh, one is one of my personal trainers. There's I have two trainers, uh, Scott Villa. He's out of Global Fitness. And then Chris Stratus. And he has a really innovative, what he calls foundational fitness program. And it's all about teaching your body how to move effectively from base level so that you can move better you have more mobility and you have more safety in the movements you're doing so both of them have really supported me in my journey and and helped me through some transformations Wonderful. another one more lady i would recommend is renee unser and she runs a company in town called pace trail running and pace stands for positive attitude changes everything so i was one of her group leaders for many years but Renee is an inspirational person that takes athletes, introduces them to trails you would never know even exist in Kelowna, challenges, inspires, and supports people to be some of the best they can be. And I think her work transforms, transcends and transforms people, not just physically. Thank you very much. If a corporate leader is listening to this and they want to find out more about your services... What's the easiest way for them to find you? My email is karen at manager know-how, and that's know as in knowledge, all one word. So managerknowhow.com, or I have a website as well, www.managerknowhow.com. All my information's on there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Luca. I really, I really appreciated meeting you. I feel like I want to ask you a whole bunch of questions back now because I didn't learn. A few people Oh, I would step up to do that because I feel like I just talked about myself and I want to learn more about you. So I would be totally into that if you are. Let's schedule it. Okay. Thank you.